less hour anyway. Uh, either way, thanks for joining me. You know, we, we are going to keep it brief this evening. I'll kind of get into that. But even if there was no other reason to keep it brief, daylight savings time, losing an hour of sleep, that gives us reason aplenty. So, like I said, we're, we're going to only cover a few things uh, this evening. But first of all, I'll give you a little bit of an update on kind of what's going on on my end. Um, because depending on how you watch this and how you listen to this, this might be like the the first time that we've seen each other or, you know, that you've engaged with this for a couple of weeks. And so I kind of wanted to explain why that is and what's going on. So last Sunday I did my regular live stream, which I do on YouTube or on Facebook. And I kind of went through, I actually, I, I liked that. I don't like every show that I do, but I liked that one a decent amount because it kind of gave a window into kind of my ideological progression and my investigative progression, if that's the right way to word it, but just talked about, you know, the things I'd been thinking about and the different stages of ideas I'd been working through and questions I'd been asking and kind of where I was at now as a result of it. So I really liked uh, how it went. So I did that and then I talked about how I was going to do one on Wednesday as kind of a post-Super Tuesday analysis, talking about the fallout and all those things. Um, so I did. I finished that up on Sunday, but then I couldn't get the video to download. Normally I do it and then I download the video and then I re-upload it to Facebook and then like to Spotify and all the other stuff. My wife handles all those. I usually just do the Facebook and the, or the YouTube and then she'll do all the other platforms. But I couldn't get it to download. So I was trying to figure out why that was and I contacted her the next day and I'm like, I, I'm, can you try this on a computer? Because she was out of town. Her and my daughter, they were visiting in-laws, visiting family. And she couldn't get it to work. And so it, it, you know, no matter what we did, we couldn't get it to work. So when Wednesday rolled around... Uh, they, which is when they got home, they were gone for about a week. Two things became apparent. First of all, I didn't want to do another live stream where I wasn't going to be able to download it. And then subsequently I couldn't up upload it to the, all the other platforms where I, you know, share this podcast or show or whatever. Um, I didn't want to do that. Secondly, you know, my, my wife and my nine month old had just gotten into town and I was like, man, it's going to be really hard to do this show, you know, with them in town. I was excited to see them and hang out with my daughter and everything. And so the the concern of not being able to download it in the first place, you know, was enough for me to go, okay, let's try and figure this out before doing another one, at least right now. So we spent this last week messing with it. We, we, couldn't, um, we couldn't figure it out. So what we decided we're going to do is um, maybe for that last podcast, because I I did like it, uh, you know, if I if I thought it sucked, you know, I would have let it kind of languish in Facebook obscurity, but, you know, there's a few of them might be totally cool with that happening, but that wasn't one of them. Um, so we might try to do some type of, like, video recording software where, you know, it records whatever's on the screen and then we can use that to upload, I don't know. We're going to try and figure something out. Um, but as of right now, what, what I'm going to do is, with this one, that's why I'm going to keep this brief, because I'm not going to go into a lot of the stuff I've been researching and working on, um, because I, I don't want to, for again, for it to just languish in obscurity on Facebook. So, if this won't download whenever I'm done, then that's, that means I'm going to have to try something different. And what I'm going to do is just bite the bullet and order a webcam, and then I'll, I'll stream it live from YouTube, which will just kind of cut out that middleman in the first place. Because uh, I can stream live from YouTube, but it has to be from the computer, and our uh, and our computer is like a decade old MacBook, 
So I'm and the camera on it sucks. If you've watched any of my my first podcasts or videos, like the grainy camera. I mean, I'm sure it was great back then, but it's a decade old, so the camera's horrible. And so I don't want to do that without uh, like a nice a nicer webcam. Um, so I'll just order one of those if I can't get this to download afterwards, and then we'll probably just do our thing on Sunday, and I'll just kind of pick back up the stuff I was working on. Um, so that that's where that is. And and, oh, and the other part of it is, you know, I could record videos and upload them like I did in the past, but I just I like to do this live, at least for now. I feel like it kind of keeps me on my toes. It keeps me from over-editing content. Like, doing, man, you got to respect the heck out of people that just make YouTube videos all the time, and they edit the crap out of it, and they do all the jump cuts and everything. Like, there's a lot of work that goes into that, and I do not want to have to go back to doing that. Um, so that's kind of where that's at. Uh what I will say is, just as an aside, like I said, my wife and daughter were out of town for a week, and it really is true what they say about how marriage kind of, you know, civilizes a dude or uh, you know, domesticates us or whatever, because while they were gone, I basically just either didn't eat dinner or I had like a banana or I think I had chicken nuggets one night. And then the minute my wife, and I love to cook, by the way, I just didn't feel like it while they were gone. And whenever they got into town, my wife was like, well, you know, would you go to the store and pick something up simple for dinner? And I took my daughter. It was cool. She, like, rode in the little front pouch thing, and it was fun. You know, she was giggling the whole time. It was really fun. And while we were at the store, I saw this, like, loaf of, like, garlic Parmesan bread. So I'm like, oh, I could do something with that. So I bought that and some other stuff, and I went home and cut up some chicken breast and cut up some zucchini and yellow squash and onion and garlic and cooked all that with, like, this uh, homemade, like, marinara sauce that I made. It's kind of pasta sauce, a bunch of spices and everything. And then I, like, reduced that down, and I took that loaf of bread and hollowed it out and put some Parmesan cheese and then some shredded cheese in it. And then I put that mixture in the middle of it and then put more Parmesan cheese and more shredded cheese and then closed the loaf, like, put the top back on it and baked it. And then whenever I cut it open, you know, it was kind of like a, a, a big loaf of, like, kind of a, a chicken Parmesan kind of thing. But all that to say, I could have done anything like that when she was gone. You know, in fact, I have more time to do those kinds of things when she's gone. And it's more, it's more inconvenient to do that when she's here because, you know, there's a baby and all this other stuff. But it's like, no, I, I don't feel like doing that whenever my wife is gone. But whenever my wife's here, it's like, oh, I actually have a reason to, you know, make something nice like that. Um, so, and it actually was super delicious, by the way. It was just an idea I had when I saw it in the store. Um, but it was super good. Highly recommend it. So... <laughs> the the only couple things we're going to talk about is I want to tell you guys the story about being on Dave Rubin's member call-in show this past Tuesday. It was, it was a super cool experience. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but I just wanted to share the story because I think it's funny. So, you know, I, I really like Dave Rubin. The Rubin Report is a great show. I You know, I've, Dave kind of experienced it. It seems like a similar kind of political evolution or an ideological evolution that I did around the same time. Um and so I kind of feel a little bit of a kinship because of that. But he did this thing for Super Tuesday where he was going to have a, like a member call-in show from, his, from the Rubin Report community, which I'm a part of, you know, and I, I write on there, I write for, for them regularly, post stuff all the time. Um, and so he was going to do that, and kind of the process of that was, you know, you send him an email, say what your question is, a little bit about you, and then they'll let you know if, you know, if you're going to kind of be a part of it or not. And so they... They emailed me back, said, okay, make sure you're in a well-lit area and you have headphones and they have all this criteria and everything. So I was like super excited for it. Um, 
So I, first off, like I said, my wife and daughter were out of town, so I'm like, I can do this anywhere. Like, as you are well aware, I am basically an aspiring duct tape production. Like, I hope to one day be a duct tape production, you know, on a shoestring budget. Right now, we are way below that. You know, I got a shower curtain behind me, right? Like, I do this in my bathroom because it's the farthest removed from my my nine-month-old's room, so you don't hear her crying or something if she's, you know, upset. So... But they were gone, so I'm like, oh, I can find a, a place to actually do this. You know, people always do this stuff with, like, their bookshelves behind them. I can do that. So I went and set up in front of my bookshelf. Lighting sucked. Set up in front of the fireplace. Lighting sucked. So it did not matter where I set it up. The lighting was garbage. So finally, I'm like, I'm going to have to freaking do this in the bathroom, aren't I? Are you serious? Like, I'm really going to have to do this? So I'm like, that that just is perfect. So that makes sense. So I go and get a table from the basement. It's like a camping table bring it up into the bathroom, and then I, like, so I don't know about you guys, but our vanity light has, like, eight slots for light bulbs, and then the the above light has several slots. Like, we don't keep all those slots filled with light bulbs. Like, that's way too much freaking light. I don't even know who designed that for this tiny bathroom. But they had said as much, you know, it needs to be super well lit. So then I, like, go around the house, and I'm, like, pulling light bulbs out of lamps to fill all these slots in the vanity and fill the above, the above light. Then I'm like fixing up the shower curtain. Like seriously, like it's kind of like in Joe Dirt when he's going through security and they're like, and you know, he says his name is Joe Dierte. Like, don't try to church it up, son. You know your name's Joe Dirt. I'm like literally trying to church up shower curtain for the to be on Dave Rubin's thing. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just so perfect. And then of course, on top of that, to add an extra layer of irony, I'm like getting my tie all fixed and you know, making sure I look nice and trim my beard and everything. So before the before the show started, it was it started at seven, um, my time anyway. There's a couple of people from the Rubin Report community that I Skype with pretty regularly, and one of them was also going to be part of that, you know, that member show. And so him and I Skyped for like 30 minutes beforehand to make sure the setup was working, everything was right. At this point, I had you know, I had to go and buy some headphones. I had. I went and gotten headphones, made sure that worked out with the phone because my last pair of headphones I'd accidentally washed, which honestly I was kind of bummed. Like they were a cheap pair of headphones, but I bought them in Tel Aviv. So I was like, oh man, my Tel Aviv headphones. Um, so I had to go buy a new pair of headphones. And then I had the my phone because I didn't trust the computer to do Skype on this computer. It is so it's so old. I do not trust it. I appreciate that I get to use it, but the man, the it's just not super reliable. And for something like that, I just trusted my phone better. So I had my phone set up like on the edge of my computer like this to where it's like hanging over the edge so that my headphone jack could be coming down because I needed it to be sitting upright, leaning on the computer. And then I had it like it sitting, I, I like found a washcloth on my daughter's and draped it so that it actually was flush because of the way the headphone jack was interacting with the table. Like it was the most janky ghetto setup. I mean, it was, it was amazing, but it was perfect. It was perfectly appropriate for, for this, um, but me and this other dude, Skype, talked for like 30 minutes, kind of refined our questions a little bit. And then his show started, and he was like, oh, dude, they just added me on Skype. I'm like, awesome, man. Go for it. I bet you're going to be first. Super cool. So he goes on, and it was super cool. You know, he did a good job. He talked to Dave. Dave complimented his background. You know, said it was very, you know, it looked nice. It was a nice background. And I'm sitting there going, okay, I'm excited to talk about, like, yeah, that's a shower curtain. Okay, here's my question, you know, kind of as an icebreaker. Um, and I, and so I have the thing with my phone going on and I have his live stream going on on YouTube on a tab. And then I have another tab where I'm kind of like refining my question, working it out. 
but I forgot about the delay between YouTube and, you know, like real life of what's going on. So I have my phone here and then all of a sudden it's like incoming call on Skype from the Ruben report. And I was like, Ugh! so I like press it and, you know, Dave's like, you know, hey, are you there? Truman, are you there? Like, you know, and the video wasn't working. I'm like, are you serious? So, but because the phone is in such a delicate position, I can't really met. So I'm like tapping the video, try, like on and off, turn the camera on and off, trying to maneuver over to my question on that tab. So, and like, cause I'm totally deer in the headlights now cause I'm distracted by, oh, I didn't expect the call right then. The video is not freaking working. And I, you know, I was just totally caught off guard, but it was cool. We had a cool conversation. I, you know, I didn't feel like I articulated my question as good as I would have liked, but it was still, you know, I, I felt like it went well. Um, at the end, I, t I scored some uh, VIP tickets for his meet and greet when he comes through for his book tour, um, which would be pretty sweet. Uh, so I'm, I'm super excited for that. That was cool that they did that. Um, I'm excited to, you know, meet him. And afterwards, I took a picture of me just like, ah, and, uh, you know, looking, I, I thought I looked pretty all right. And I tweeted it out. I'm like, of course, you know, when you go to, you finally get to, to be on the Rubin Report and then your video doesn't work. And Dave retweeted it, and it was cool. He was he said I would be queued up for, like, the, the next time they did that, I would be the first one on. So I guess that's more of an impetus to buy a webcam. But it was just so funny. I'm like, this is perfect. Like, of course, I, you know, again, I aspire to be duct tape over here, you know, churching up the shower curtain, making sure that looks perfect, and then I can't even get any visual. But Regardless, it was a really cool experience. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, whoa, and afterwards, after it was, the thing was done, because they never got any video, I freaking Skyped the other dude, the one who went on first, immediately. And I said, Can you see me? Can you see me, man? He goes, and he's dying laughing. He's like, Yeah, dude, it's perfect. It's working perfectly. Like, the video's fine. I'm like, Of course, of course. So, anyway, the whole thing was like, you know, I went through this, you know, frustration, but then just kind of like, of course, you know, it's fine. But either way, it was a lot of fun. I'm going to, I'll put a link to that. The, the, the other guests, like all of them, there was five of us that were on, you know, they all asked really good questions. I thought it was good conversation and it was really cool that he did that. So I'll put a link to that. I think my part, you know, it was like, I think I talked to him for like five minutes or so. It was on the, is that like the 38 minute mark? But I'll put a link to that. Uh, either way, cool experience. Uh, okay, so here's the the only other thing I'm going to talk about, but I think it is interesting, and I do think it's worth talking about, is, so if, a few days ago, there was this tweet that went around that had some really bad math on it about Michael Bloomberg's campaign and everything, so I'll let PolitiFact did a, a story on it, I'll quote that, and then we'll kind of get into the details, but I, I do think this is worth talking about. It's funny, it's stupid, but it is worth talking about because I think it might point to something a little bit deeper, you know, that's worth mentioning. Um, so from PolitiFact, quote, bad math at MSNBC. Bloomberg's ad spending wasn't enough to give every American $1 million. MSNBC anchor Brian Williams aired a tweet during his TV show that said former New York City Mayor Mike Bloomberg, who self-funded his since-suspended presidential campaign, spent so much money on ads that he could have instead delivered every American a fortune. Bloomberg spent $500 million on ads, the tweet said. The population is $327 million. He could have given each American $1 million and still have enough, left, enough money left over. I feel like $1 million, a $1 million check would be life-changing for most people, yet he wasted all of it on ads and still lost. Williams re read the tweet after it was introduced by Mara Gay, 
a member of the New York Times editorial board, who said that, quote, somebody tweeted recently that actually with the money Bloomberg spent, he could have given every American a million dollars. It's an incredible way of putting, Williams said after displaying the tweet on screen. If that sounded too good to be true, it's because it is. A quick use of a calculator shows that 500 million divided by 327 million people is actually about $1.53 per person. And so the the PolitiFact article goes on and shows like another tweet of that segment just with the simple text, how did this end up on TV? Because that's a good question to ask. How does that end up on TV? $500 million is enough to, to give 500 people $1 million. You know, like that's, that is a very, very egregious error in mathematics. Uh, and one could be forgiven if it was just like one person who was just like, yeah, wait, what, you know, but there was a lot more that goes into it. So even though it's fun to make fun of them, even though it's fun to talk about how stupid they are or all this other stuff and poke fun and then just kind of her, her, her and move on. I think that that question is worth asking literally, how did this end up on TV? So let's think about it from a stand the or the standpoint of an actual process, okay? So first there's the tweet itself. The tweet was widely circulated on a lot of accounts, a lot of leftist accounts, including People for Bernie, which has like almost 250,000 subscribers on YouTube, so it's a huge account circulated all over Twitter, okay? So there's that. Not vetted, no issues, okay? Then it eventually made it to, to people, some people somewhere at two of the biggest news networks in the country, which is MSNBC and the New York Times editorial board, right? So that's Margay, Brian Williams, other people there. So it makes it to them, right? No problems. The tweet was, uh, was probably pulled by a couple people before it was handed to them by social media. These companies, these, these places have people whose job is social media and they pull things like that, find out what's trending, all that stuff. These people whose literal job is to engage with social media. So those people didn't see any issues with the tweet. They clearly didn't read any of the comments on the tweet because the comments, at least last I saw it, people were like, that's not true. That doesn't work all over. Like, hey, this is why we get made fun of. No one read that. The social media people didn't read it. Okay, then it's given to some production people. You know, you would imagine like there's some people actually at MSNBC whose job is to take this content put it on this screen, have it ready, you know, as part of this segment, whatever. The production people either didn't read it or didn't see any problems. And lastly, you have Brian Williams of MSNBC and Mara Gay of the New York Times editorial board discussing this tweet as if it was something profound. In fact, before he read it, Williams said that he had actually read it earlier in the evening and that it, it struck him as profound then. Like, in other words, he read 2 plus 2 equals potato, had time to marinate on it, and then read it again as if like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you believe two plus two equals potato? I can't believe it. Like he never saw any issues. And then for her part, Mara Gay's response after he read it on air, she said, quote, it's an incredible way of putting it. It's true. It's disturbing. It does suggest what we're talking about here, which is that there's too much money in politics. And, you know, it makes it difficult. And the clip cuts off before they get to the next point, which is the issues with money in politics. So it's, you know, it's true and it's disturbing and here's what we're talking about and we're very indignant as a result of this profound truth. But back to the original question, how did this end up on TV? Think about that process. Think about, it's, This isn't just Mara Gay and Brian Williams. There is a lot of people whose hands this passed through, so to speak. There's a lot of 
cracks that this fell through before it made it on one of the largest news networks in the country. So how does that happen? Well, I'll tell you how it happens, or at least my theory on how it happens. I think it happens the same way some idiotic thing gets shared on Facebook that's patently false, right? That's false to any outside observer. It's because the person sharing it is more interested in the narrative that it supports rather than asking the question of whether or not it's true. And that's a problem. On Facebook, it's a problem, especially like I see stuff all the time. I saw one, I think it was just today or yesterday, someone posted something that wasn't true at all about Bernie Sanders getting arrested for throwing eggs at black people during the civil rights movement. And I was like, you know, I said something like, look, I'm no fan of Bernie Sanders, but this is not true. Like, we, there's enough room to criticize without saying stuff that's not true. I see this stuff all the time on Facebook, whether it comes to immigration, Hillary Clinton, whatever. It's like people will just share crap because it supports the narrative that they want it to support and reinforces their feelings. And, you know, on Facebook, most people can identify that. Some people can't, but whatever. That's just some derp thing on Facebook, right? There is a difference between that and MSNBC and the New York Times doing that. But it's the same reason. It's because there is a preference for narrative and having your bias supported that you are so interested in what it might support that you don't care if it's true. And maybe it's not even that you don't care, but that you don't think to ask the question, is it true? That you are so like tunnel visioned on narrative that the idea of is it true or is it not true doesn't even enter the equation. It's like, first glance, this checks out, cool, pass it on. First glance, this checks out, cool, pass it on, right? That's a problem. So the, my main point here is anyone at this point who does not think that there is a narrative preference and a narrative bias among our gatekeepers in the media, like, I don't even know what to say. Like, look at the attacks on Bernie. Look at how CNN handled that debate where Warren, you know, God rest her soul, right? She's out of the, she's out of the race. Um, not the first time she had to, to leave a race, as uh, I think Greg Gutfield tweeted out. It's absolutely hilarious. But she lobs this ridiculous accusation against Bernie. He denies it. And then the CNN moderator, uh, Abby Phillip, acted like he didn't deny it. Like, it was just self-evidently true. You know, what that I saw a, a piece in, uh, I think it was from N NBC.com today, put out a piece that was about how Bernie supporters helped elect Trump, and are they going to do it again? And the whole piece was about what Trump should, or what Bernie should do, presumably when he doesn't get the nomination again, because his supporters cost Hillary the election. And this was put as an analysis, not an opinion piece, by NBC's chief White House reporter. Like, there is a narrative preference, left, right, center, as if there is a center anymore, um, in the mainstream media. And that's fine as long as they're honest about it. But, it, but it, as long as they're maintaining that they are these, you know, unbiased, no narrative preference whatsoever gatekeepers of truth while they're sharing dirt memes on Facebook or whatever, you know, and pretending like that's true, that's going to be a problem. So as this primary heats up, as much as it can heat up with a bunch of old dudes losing their minds, as this heats up, just something to be aware of, just something to think about. You know, again, there's a, 
there is a narrative agenda for MSNBC. There is a narrative agenda for Fox News. If you think that either of those statements is not true, you're kidding yourself. But it's not just them. CNN, NPR, all of them. So at least the ones who are honest about it, you can kind of, you know, glean something there. But there's, you know, Mara Gay, New York Times editorial board, Washington Post, of course, overt, blatant media narrative bias on the Washington Post. Democracy dies in darkness. Yeah, okay. So the point is just something to keep an eye on, something to think about is, you know, whenever we see that tweet, Brian Williams and them talking about it, you know, it's funny. And you ask a question like, how'd that end up on TV? But seriously, how did that end up on TV? Ask the question whenever you see headlines go, how did that, why is that there? Is this editorializing or is this actually, you know, fact? Most of it's going to be editorializing presented as fact. Um, so just something to keep in mind. You know, I think it's incredible the the way that this, you know, stuff gets put forth in media and there are still people that think that the media is not biased you know, and that's just some conspiracy thing. I hope that the left is waking up to it with the way they're treating Bernie. Um, but I, I'm not sure that that's going to be the case. Um, so anyway, so that's it for right now. To give you a little bit of just what I'm going to be talking about next time, because like I said, I don't want to go into all of it now and then not be able to download it. Kind of what I'm working on and what I talked about in my last live stream and why I want to upload it, because I, I thought it was at least somewhat informative, is where I'm asking the question, is Bernie Sanders... Is he the, you know, an aberration or is he the logical conclusion? The way Dave Rubin put it actually on this last Tuesday, which is how I framed the question, was Dave said that socialism was kind of a virus that had infiltrated the Democratic Party through liberalism, and that, but it was a virus, it was an aberration. And my question was, which parts? Which parts are a virus and which parts aren't? Because as best I can tell, there is a good argument to be made that Bernie Sanders is actually the logical conclusion and not some aberration virus that needs to be expelled. I, I'm not convinced that that's the case. So what I've been doing is working on that from a historical perspective, looking at the history of progressivism, things before the New Deal, since the New Deal, etc., reading some books about that. And then I'm, I've, what I've started doing is also going through Joe Biden's policy uh, p uh, positions and what he puts forth on his website, which I'll include a link to, um, and looking at, okay, are these policy proposals some return to something? You know, he's supposed to be the, quote, moderate or centrist candidate. And is he that? Does he represent that? Or do they represent a continual shift in a certain direction that actually does point to Bernie Sanders? The way I worded it last week was, I think I said, you know, they're counting by twos. He's counting by hundreds, but they're all counting in the same direction. So when Amy Klobuchar says... Bernie, you have to be able to show your receipts and show how you're going to pay for it. She's not attacking his plans from an ideological standpoint. She's just saying, well, you have to be able to pay for it. In other words, if you could pay for it, they'd be great. Um, and so I'm not convinced that they're not all actually moving in the same direction. The pacing is just different. So I'm going through Biden's policies and everything he has on his website to look at, is he a return to something or is he actually still moving in that direction? He's just, the, the pacing's a little slower than what Bernie's putting forth. So that's what I'll talk about next time. If, you know, after I get done with this, when I try to download it, if it doesn't download, then we'll probably, I'll, I'll go ahead and order the webcam and we'll be here, you know, next Sunday, I would imagine. Um, if, if it does download, then I'll probably try to do something earlier than that, um, just so I can kind of put some of that stuff out there. 
So we'll see how that goes. Either way, uh, this whatever this is is the kind of thing you're into. Please like, share, and subscribe uh, on YouTube. That's at Return to Reason. On Twitter, you can follow me on there. That's at My Mundane Mind. And then I'll also return to reason on like Spotify and all the other places wherever my wife uploads it to. I went through the list, I think it was last week, and I was like, I haven't heard of half of these, but cool if people are listening, very cool. And then I'll also include in the description the link to Dave's call-in show um, where I was on there. It was at the, I was on at the 38-minute mark, but it's worth listening to the whole thing. It's only about an hour and a half. Everyone on there had cool ideas. It was cool conversations. And really, you know, that's kind of what he's creating over at the Ruben Report the, on their website, and so it was it was fun and enjoyable all around. So that's where that is. I appreciate you guys watching, and I will check you next time. See ya.